pretty excited about uh, about today for a number of reasons. Uh, one, you know, primarily because it's the church birthday. It's something that uh, I look forward to every year. Uh, I'm I'm usually not one to get too excited about birthdays. Like I'm like cool, like like you know, my own birthday is pretty like low key. It's it's not really like a huge deal, but pretty excited about about these sorts of events because what happens here for these events is not just another year in which we have aged, another year in which things have, uh, we've grown older, but what it really is, it's, it's a marker of God's faithfulness. It's a marker of his faithfulness and his work. And so we, as a church this morning, celebrate uh, seven years of God working here in the city, which is mind-blowing, uh, considering like this was like nothing. There was nothing here. There was no group of people. And considering the great many people who have made their way through the church over the years, it is absolutely radical to see God's hand at work to see his faithfulness. And I think oftentimes when you are in the midst of it, when you are in the midst of life, when you are going through the day by day, it's, it's, it's hard to see progress. It's hard to see that God is at work. But when we look back, when we look at those years of faithfulness, when we look at all the people who have come through and all that God has done, it's, it's remarkable to see what he has accomplished. You know, we live in one of the most expensive areas. We live in one of the most transient areas. We live in one of the most spiritually difficult areas. And we have had so many people come through the church. So many people. I, th I think within the first uh, three years, I think if, if everybody who came through the church in the first, we were kind of tallying it up around that three-year mark, if everybody who had come through the church in the first three years stayed, like there was over like 200 people who came through. It was just absolutely insane, the, the amount of people who were just like, we're here, I'm here for a short period of time, I'm gone. I'm here, I'm here for a short period of time, I'm gone. Like the rhythm of life that brings people in and out of this area is crazy. But yet, God has brought us here. He's brought us here to establish this church, uh, which we moved here probably like eight, nine-ish years ago to get acclimated to the area, to learn about the area, to, to follow uh, Jesus into this ministry. And yet, we come into this morning seeing years of his faithfulness, years of his work. And I think it's important that we remember this because because not only remembering these years of past uh, work that maybe you have not been a part of, and so maybe they feel a little bit uh, irrelevant to you, or maybe you feel a little bit disconnected to them, what you need to know is this. The years that have gone by were, were vital for the vibrancy, for the culture that is in place today. The years that have gone by in the past, the work that has happened, the, the direction that Jesus has brought to his church have brought us to the place of allowing us to do what we do today, for one, but also have brought us into a constant place of dependency upon him.
Because as you think about, as you think about our, our church, as you think about the day, as you think about uh, what it is to plant a church, to begin a church, these things originate out of the direction of Christ. They originate out of his uh, leading, out of his working. And it's important that we remember so because he is the head of the church. And so as we come to um, our time together this morning, we don't want to necessarily just walk down memory lane. But what we're going to do this morning is kind of look at a, a, a very, I'm going to say this, we want to look at some specific things, but a reasonably comprehensive ecclesiology, that is, the study of the church. What does it mean to be the church? What, what are we called to do as God's people? And what are some uh, exciting, you know, uh, initiatives that we're hoping to get going here in 2019? Some things that I think are on the horizon that I'm, I'm personally excited about. But uh, before we get to this, we want to look first at our call as Christians. Our call, of course, is, is twofold. First, to love God. We find this summarized in the great commandment. And then to love others, to love people in the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is twofold. It both exists as a form of evangelism and then as a form of discipleship. It's twofold. We're making disciples. And that, of course, starts with evangelism. But those two things, those two priorities, exist for every church, every single church. This is the guiding principles for every church. That we love God and we love people. Love God, love people. In that order. And, and when we have looked at this, what we found is that our kind of mission statement, as you will, as a church, that we've, that we've again adopted over the years is this. That we are a people who are responding to Jesus. We're responding to Jesus. We kind of began to, to roll this out a little bit more specifically, I think, somewhere back in uh, 2014. That, but as a group, as a church, we are people who respond to Jesus. And we've said that this is kind of our rubric, our, our, our mission statement, if you will, because what this means is that we are not the initiator. We are not the primary agent in anything. He respond, we respond to what he is doing, how he is working. And so it, t it puts us, as God's people, in the frame of mind to say, this shouldn't begin with me, but it should begin with Jesus, with what he's doing, with how he's working, with what he wants. This is why our, our, our service is structured so, to when you come in, you spend time here, we first sing out praise, and we respond immediately to who he is, to what he's done. We sing forth his praise in response to what is declared about him. And then we come to the word of God. We study the word of God together. We look at the scriptures. We look at them line by line, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we might understand the entirety, the whole counsel of God. We might understand the scriptures, what, 
is the author intending to write to his original audience? What does he intend for us today? How is the Holy Spirit working in the church? We respond to the Word of God by applying it to our lives, by learning how we ought to live. And then as we hear the Word of God, as we are changed and transformed by the Word of God, then again, on the back end, we respond again. This is why we call it our time of response. Because it shouldn't be that you hear something and you're just like, oh, that's a cool story, thanks. But rather, hearing the Word of God should impact you so should impact us to the point where we have to now make a decision. We have to make a choice to respond and to say thank you, to worship, to orient our heart towards him. And so we give opportunity for response and worship. And of course, we break this out into three different ways, you know, with uh, the opportunity for communion, for continuing in uh, uh, musical worship, by, again, proclaiming his praise, by confessing and through song, all these different things. There's opportunities, you know, for you to pray during that time. If you want to respond in offerings uh, and tithes there, there's that opportunity as well. But again, responding to Jesus. And as we respond to Jesus, our kind of, uh, our, our context then is important. We're responding to Jesus But then our our kind of secondary mission statement, right? We're responding to Jesus first in all things. So that's in the service. You're responding to him in daily life. And so if you go to our website there, it says Sanctuary Berkeley. And then it says following Jesus in Berkeley. We're responding to him. We're following him in Berkeley. He's not following in us. We're not adding him to our life in Berkeley. We are a group of people who are living in the city and following him here. And so it's up to us to come to our circumstances, our situation every day. Our classes, our academics, our relationships, the way that we interact with the city and say, how are we following Jesus in Berkeley? What is he doing? How is he working? How is he leading us here? Not, Lord, here's my life. Maybe you can like upgrade it a little bit. Maybe you can fix some things for me. But we're following him. We're responding to him at all times whether that's corporately together or whether that's individually, you have to respond to him. There's not an option for Christians uh, to not respond to Jesus, right? Sometimes we just don't respond correctly. He's asking us to follow him, to walk with him. And so when we are out and about, when we're making decisions and you are not intending to respond to him, when you're not purposing to follow him, you're still responding to him. You're just saying no. You're just saying, I hear what you're asking me to do. I'm going to do my own thing instead. It's, it's not like, oh, well, I just didn't ask him. It's like, no, you, you, you did respond. You said no. You didn't consult him. You said, I'm going to do my own thing. And so there's, there's not really this opportunity for us, any of us to be let off the hook. We are there to respond to him. And our goal is to grow together in responding to Jesus, to grow together and we, so that we might put Christ on display to the watching world because people are watching. People are looking at us. People are observing the church. They're observing us as individuals. And we want to learn how to respond together. We want to learn how to respond as individuals so that people might see Jesus clearly in our lives. Now, if our goal is to respond to Jesus... 
to help other people meet Jesus, then we have to understand, we have to understand what it is to be a member of the church, to be Christians. And so we look at a couple things that inform the great commandment for us. Primarily, our identity. Our identity. Who you are. Because who you are, your attitude, it informs your behavior. Your actions flow out of, of your identity. The scriptures tell us that we are a people who do not belong to ourselves. We're not our own. So we don't have our own identity. In the book of Acts, in chapter 20, verse 28, an exhortation is given uh, to these leaders. We read this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So our identity is one as a blood-bought people. We don't belong to ourselves. We are purchased by another. We are a blood-bought people. Uh, Peter echoes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He tells the church this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with things... Uh, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So as God's people, we are, our identity as, is as those who are purchased. We are blood-bought. And for those who belong to Jesus, it means that we no longer belong to ourselves or our loved ones or, or anybody else, but we solely belong to Jesus. We're entirely his. And so we then have to learn how do we glorify God? How then do we live as blood-bought people? Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He puts it this way in verse 19 and 20. You are not your own. Just says it straight up. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's just straight up. You don't belong to yourself. Glorify God. And so our identity is that we are bought, we are purchased by him through his blood. We're redeemed by God. We're loved by God. We belong to him. And when we understand this identity that we are purchased by him, it causes us then to respond. It causes us then to be people who have joy in Christ. Peter lays the groundwork for this before he even gets to this idea of being blood-bought people. In the very opening of his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this. Blessed be, in verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
in this you rejoice. He goes off and he says, look, you have been purchased, you've been bought, you have this great inheritance, you are a part of God's family, and you can have joy. You can be satisfied, you can be fully content. You can rejoice. He goes on in verse 8, and he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so our purpose, our identity, as God's redeemed people, are connected. That we live out of that identity. And that identity produces in us uh, t- uh, that we are people who are worshipers. We see who he is, we respond as worshipers. But we can only rightly worship when we know who we're worshiping. And so your, your, your worshiping identity, your worshiping actions have to be connected to Jesus because otherwise we're like little worshiping robots and we go worship other things. Like, oh, this is amazing. Something else is satisfying us. Oh, I want that. I want that. Like, all of a sudden, we find other things to fill ourselves up with. Everybody's worshiping something. Everyone's pursuing something. We're all creating, like, these little idols all the time. And whatever is occupying your mind, whatever you find yourself anxious about and worrying about, It's something that you're investing in. It's something that we have to constantly put under the lordship of Christ to submit to him. Because he, he is the one who is worthy of our praise. So knowing who you are and who you're worshiping is massively important. This is why Jesus speaks of this in the great commandment. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, he's speaking here with the legal experts, hoping to catch Jesus in a situation. And they ask him, which commandment is most important of all? Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus answers, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus comes out and he says, we must love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. He's speaking, of course, of the entirety of our being. There's nothing that is outside of his uh, demand. Our core identity needs to be found in him. This is what Jesus is getting at. And when our core identity is found in Christ, there are implications. Things that are prescribed in scriptures that we ought to participate in as members of the church. And so we want to look briefly at some of these things. Now, it's like as I said, some important things, but hardly an exhaustive list. Some important things. So here are a few implications of this great commandment. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What it does for us in community. As God's people. 
first. It brings us to be a united people. It's Jesus who calls us to unity around the gospel, around our identity in Christ. In the book of Acts, we see that the church has always been characterized by its unity. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we read that the number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That, that church was connected. They had one heart, one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The point, the unity of the Christian, the unity of the church, is to highlight to the world that we care about Jesus above all else. That we want to worship him above all else. Now, a lot of times when we come into this little piece here about Acts chapter 4, verse 32, you know, we read, like, there were one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Usually what happens when, when, when you get to this passage, when you're going through this, you know, and I, I think, of course, this happens uh, when you have a little bit of time to dive into it in something like um, a study through the book of Acts like we have done. You know, usually what happens here is that we're kind of going and speaking about the church, but at one point or another, there's this sort of apologetic sidebar that creeps up, uh, particularly in uh, Western churches. I'm sure there's different um, sidebars that happen in, uh, you know, Eastern churches. But the sidebar that kind of happens is this. You read it and they say, well, I just want you to all know that, you know, he's not talking about communism here. Because, like, there's, he's not talking about, like, there's just, like, the central pot and, like, nobody owned anything. But we want to make sure, like, everybody knows that, like, we, they, they did own the things. But, you know, the, the, a lot of times, like, everybody wants to make this note. Which, sure, it's, like, a helpful note. But it misses the point. It misses the point. The writer is not concerned to speak to the ownership of property. He's saying, he's saying this. Their attitude to, towards their property was so, like, tertiary, like, they, they weren't even thinking about it. They weren't like, oh, that's mine. They were just, like, so obsessed with Jesus together that nobody was worrying about it. Nobody was like, hey, that's mine. Or like, hey, like, did you ask to use that? Or like, hey, that belongs to me. Everybody was just like, I don't really care what happens with, like, all that stuff. It wasn't, this isn't a, an argument that's meant to draw out, like, how property ownership works in the church. It's meant to say that the church is so laser-focused on knowing and worshiping and enjoying and pursuing Jesus that nobody really cared about anything else. Like, that's what he's getting at. He's trying to make this emphasis so that as modern readers, we might say, stop thinking about how everything else is working and, like, where everything is going. Like, you're supposed to be, like, laser-focused, obsessed with our Savior. Like, you're supposed to just be, like, so enjoying him and excited about him with other people that you're not, like, really thinking, like, oh, like, where, where's all, like, my stuff coming from? And, like, how, 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 many, how many, like, resources do I actually have? And, like, what if I, like, you're not supposed to be thinking about that. And, and so he gets here and he puts this, this idea of unity forward because this is how the world is to perceive us. That, like, we're just so laser-focused, obsessed with Jesus that we're not really, like, super concerned about all these other, like, resources. We're not concerned with how things work outside of that. 
And of course, we want to have wise stewardship. I'm not going to apologize sidebar about like all that, right? You're going to have to get those later. However, the point is that he wanted to be about Christ. And so there is an idea that we are a united people, a united people. Second, we are a serving people. We're called to the responsibility of loving and serving one another. The result of the gospel is this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul writes, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Like, that's pretty crazy outdo one another. It's like, if you want to have a competition, like, let's have a competition about, like, who can, like, love the most intensely? Who can, who can show honor most intensely? Like, that's the type of rivalry that, that they're trying to stoke, that the Holy Spirit is working so powerfully that they're just like, oh, I'm going to totally just help this person out. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to meet them. I'm just going to be, like, praying for them every time I see them. I'm going to, I'm going to be checking in all this. Like, the, the rivalry that they're pushing towards is one of uh, edification. Romans chapter 13, Paul goes on, he says this in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He goes on and he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting from Jesus, of course. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He says that we are to focus on how we can love one another. To look not inwardly at our own needs, but to look at the needs of others. To see how we could serve other people. It's an outward perspective. Because as Christians, the idea is this. We model Christ, who Paul lays out in the great Christ hymn of Philippians 2. It says that he did not consider himself, but he looked to the needs of others. He considered others more significant than himself. Before he, just before he makes that statement, he, he tells the church this, you have the same mindset. Consider others more significant than yourselves. And so the idea is that within the Christian community, you're only thinking about others. Pretty crazy, right? Which means like you're never thinking about yourself. But if you think about it, if you're only thinking about others, if you're thinking about 30 other people, that means that 30 other people should be thinking about you, which is way more important than one person thinking about one person. It's infinitely uh, more powerful to see how you can meet the needs of others, to have 30 people considering you, to have 40 people, rather than just have one person considering themselves. To lay down and to consider the needs of others. This is how the church is structured. It's structured to look like freedom that is given to God's people to serve. It models the, the pattern that we find in the book of Exodus where God enters into a covenant with his people. He says, I have rescued you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Not so you can just go do whatever you want, but so that you might worship. 
They're brought there to enter into a relationship of worship. Even so, we find this elaborated in the New Testament in Paul's writings in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. You're given this freedom. You got it. He puts it out there. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You have freedom, but the freedom is not for yourself, it's for others. Use it through love to serve one another. He continues in Galatians chapter 6, making this exhortation. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. He says our, we should be thinking about other people. We should be considering other people. But he makes this interesting note. He says, especially, especially God's people. He's like, it's, it's, it's great to be considering other, other people who aren't Christians, but you should definitely be considering Christians. You should definitely be considering Christians. This is kind of a curious statement because we're thinking like, well, wouldn't it be like good if we were like especially considering like people who aren't Christians because like maybe they need some like niceties in their life. Like maybe we could be a light to them. Maybe we could help them out a little bit. Like seems like a logical thing to think about. But remember, the church is structured as a military base. We're here to accomplish a work. We're here to build each other up so that way when we go out into the field, we have the ability, we have the strength, we have the resolve to fight. And then we come back and we get recharged. But imagine that if you're somebody who went out into the battle and you came back and you had bullet holes all through you, you went and you got your little bit of rest and maybe you got a little bit of food, you're telling your tale to somebody else, like, hey, here's what happened to me this week. Here's the hardships and things I'm struggling with. I'm supposed to go out, you know, tomorrow, back into the field. And then your fellow soldiers are like, well, good luck with that. You know, hope, hope that goes good for you. That's not very, you're not really going to want to go out there. But if we consider those who are in the household of faith and say, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that that's where you're headed. You know, maybe you should take some people with you or, you know, here's some extra supplies or, or let me patch you up and let me help you. Let me bring you to the medic and, and let him heal you before you go out. Because we're going out into the war and we need to be equipped. And so we have to do good, especially to those who are in the household of faith because we are on a mission, we're not on a vacation. So we've got to tend to our own first. We've got to tend to our own first. When we love others, when we commit to serving one another, God uses these things as ways to show himself to the watching world. And when the community, when the, when the watching world looks at us, we, they, should, they should be confused. 
That's what we're aiming for, peak confusion. We don't know how that works. What in the world is going on there? We don't want it to make sense. You know, this week, I got to go to uh, something at the kids' schools, like Caring Elders Day, and uh, they had like these like random speeches where like adults who were like invited from the audience were like supposed to go up there and speak about like their like four pillars from their school, like safe, responsible, respectful. I don't know what the other one is. But anyways, these are relevant. Uh, I didn't listen very well. <laughs> uh, but, w- but one lady, I think she was, she was speaking about being respectful. And she, like, got up there and she was like, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, I don't really, like, not, like, really good at this. I didn't, like, wasn't told, like, I had a lot of time or whatever. Like, she, I don't know. She had, like, called in the camera. She was like, so here's, like, you know, be respectful, like, like, I try to, she, like, let off, like, seemed like it was going to go good. She was, she let off, she's like, you know, like, um, I treat others how, like, I want, want to be treated, you know? She's kind of, like, going down, like, the path of, like, the golden rule. She's like, so, you know, when, when people are, 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 I'm interacting with them, like, I, I try to be nice to them so that, you know, they will be nice to me. And then it started, like, taking, like, a, a little bit of a different turn. She's like, because if you, you know, if you uh, come and you speak to me disrespectful, then I'm going to speak to you disrespectful. And then it, like, flipped all around. Like, I don't think she, like, really understood, like, what Jesus was, like, getting at when he spoke that. Because the true anomaly, the true attitude was that Jesus would say that we would come and we would love those who are even our enemies who are disrespectful to us, who hate us. It should be an anomaly. We shouldn't be like, if you're going to dish it out, I'm going to dish it out too. The way of Christ is that if you're going to be angry and upset, I'm going to love you fiercely. I'm going to pursue you to make sure that you know that I love you. I want to serve you. It's radical. It's a radical approach. It should be an anomaly. We should be super confused. If I went up there and said that, everybody in the audience would be like booing and they'd be super confused. They'd be like, no, we're not doing that. Like, you got to stand up for your rights and like, you can't let people treat you that way. And we've been taken advantage of for like, you know, before. And like, you don't, everybody would have like a story. But the story of Christ is one who is completely innocent and yet allowed himself to be victimized, to be abused to be taken advantage of for our sake. And he calls us to follow us, follow him into this. And so as a church, we have to be this bit of confusion in the community. Okay, stick with me. We're going to go real fast now. The second component, of course, is that we ought to be a proclaiming people. We're a proclaiming people. We take part in the Great Commission. It's the glory of God that drives mission. 
Our identity in Christ, that we know him, that we see who he is, that we see people who don't know who he is, and so we want them to know. We want them to experience Jesus. We want them to pursue him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we, of course, have this uh, very strong instruction for the church. As Peter writes, and he says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? So first he says, here's, here's who you are, here's your identity. You're a people for his own possession. So he comes straight out and says, you're, you're not for your own. It's not your own direction. It's not what you want. You're his own possession. And then he says, here's your action. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you have a job, that we are a proclaiming people. We are to be proclaimers. We are to be a people who herald the gospel, that we share the gospel. We're not just proclaiming like, he, he's, he's like pretty nice, he helps us, he like upgrades our life. He's like, it's, it's not the characteristics necessarily, but rather he says, death to life is the message. He who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so as a people who are redeemed by God, as we're rescued by the risen Christ, we desire to see Jesus exalted, to be worshipped. And so the mission that we're on is to know God, to understand who he is, to have our identity rooted in him, and then to take part in the mission, what God has called the church to do, to make disciples. This is the mission. He, Jesus lays this out in Matthew 28, 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. First, go. We're sent, we're sent people. Make disciples. Here's our task. Of all nations, every tribe, tongue, everybody. And then we participate in the Trinity, in the baptism, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching, and then obedience. Those things all continue. Everything that he's commanded us. So we are a scripturally based people who obey Jesus, who are sent. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers the believer to accomplish these things. To live these things out. To take part in the great commission. Now, here's what you need to know. This is how the church comes into being. The church has come into being because of the great commission. When we see God for who he is, we understand for who he is, he, we take on his identity, we become a part of his family, then we go on the mission to find other people and to share the gospel with them, to make disciples, then in this process, a church is established. As you get a group of people together who begin to follow Jesus together to respond to him, a church can be established. Now, of course, throughout the New Testament, we have kind of some structural things that Jesus tells us about the church and how it should look and these sorts of things. But here's what you need to know. The Great Commission is how churches begin. 
The Great Commission is how churches are sustained. The Great Commission has the word co in it. It's a co-mission. It's not our mission. We are taking part in his mission. Again, we're responding to him. It's with Jesus, not apart from Jesus, not for Jesus. It's with Jesus. Co-mission. Now, this means, and as you look throughout Scripture, what we also find is stated very clearly that Jesus is the head of the church. It belongs to him. And so how churches start, how churches end, how they go, what they're doing, should all be subject to his direction, to his leading, what he's wanting to accomplish. And so for me, for our church, I don't care at all what happens with it as long as Jesus is doing it. If he wants to shut the church down, amen. If he wants to blow it up and make it huge, amen. I'm just going where he's going. I'm not trying to go anywhere he's not going. Because it's not my church. It doesn't belong to me. I came here in obedience to him, but it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about what happens here as long as Jesus does it. I don't care. As long as Jesus does it and we listen, we're good. If Jesus isn't doing it and we're going our own way, we're in trouble. And so we are trying to stick to what Jesus has called us to do. The basics. And I'll tell you this. A lot of churches don't get the basics right. They're just not sticking with it. They have the basics in word, but in practice, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. We want to get the basics right. Because we want Jesus to work through us. We want to follow him and do what he's doing. And so the task of being a proclaiming people isn't just one of evangelism. It's one of discipleship. The Great Commission is to make disciples, not to be evangelists. In the church, we are evangelists, but we're making disciples is our task. Each one of us, we're growing and maturing. And so, as a part of our church, sometimes, you know, we sit here and we think, you know, like, we don't really get to do, like, a lot of, a lot of, like, external outreach into the community. And there's, some, like, some practical reasons, like, that the doors have not been opened for us to do uh, as much. But what we do here on a Sunday morning and throughout the week and how we minister to one another, it's like 100% of our effort is Great Commission work. Because we're making disciples as a church, and in the midst of that, we are in the midst of an unchurched environment. So the pure existence of this church here is an entirely outreach effort. Like, just the fact that we exist here, that God has sustained this church, is an evangelistic effort. That we have a place, a home base, for you all to come back to to come and to receive tending. As fellow soldiers, we can patch each other up and strengthen each other. And so we press in because we live in a spiritually difficult climate here. It's difficult, it's hard, it's dark. And so merely the presence of God's people in this circumstance is, it is a way that we are fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, we want to look briefly at kind of some things that we want to understand for uh, 2019. 
Of course, throughout the history of the church, we've had two verses that are kind of our, our primary guiding verses, our, our, our home base that we re- return to um, again and again. For, for me, they bring comfort, they bring focus, they bring simplicity. When we're tempted to do other things, when we're tempted to consider like all this other crazy stuff, this is home base for us. Comfort for me, like I just, whenever I get these two verses, I'm locked in. Whenever I feel like I'm a little bit confused as where we're going, return here. It's not flashy, but it's true. First one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is our home base. We're not starting with anything else. We're not going anywhere else. We have a foundation. We're sticking to it. Our foundation is Jesus. He's the foundation of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Like, we're not going anywhere unless Jesus is going with us. If he's leading the way, we'll go. If he's not leading the way, we're saying no. Secondly, the work that we do, the way that we are in the world as a church, comes in this manifestation of John chapter 12, verse 32, where Jesus himself says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is the foundation, and Jesus is the one that we exalt, that's lifted up. He says he is going to be the one to do the work. I will draw all people to myself. We're responding to him. We're not making it happen. We're not doing the work. All we're doing is saying, Jesus is lifted up. Everybody look at him. That's our task. We're just saying, look, he's lifted up. Look at him. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he faithful? Isn't he good? That's our job. He's going to do the rest. And so, as a church, we live within these two verses, and we roughly obey, or or we truthfully obey, but we roughly find them summarized in the Great Commission uh, and the Great Commandment, love God, that we're gospel-centered, that we're disciples of Jesus, we're changed by the gospel for the glory of God. We spend time together practically in corporate worship. We, We collectively spend time studying the Word of God, growing in our devotional life, spiritual disciplines, and prayer. And then we seek to love each other, to love our neighbor, to make disciples a part of the Great Commission. And this is a part of our responsibility. Okay, Listen carefully. Our responsibility is to pursue community. This is our our main task as Christians. We worship in community. We grow in community. But we often have a tendency to kind of like hide out. Either you're somebody who's like overly sociable or you just like kind of want to hide out. Maybe stay on the fringes a little bit. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in, in chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I love that. He just comes straight out. He's like, you have it? Let's hold fast to this confession. Don't waver. Don't waver. For he who promised is faithful. God won't waver, so you don't waver. 
but he knows that we, we have a tendency. We have a tendency to be shaken. We have a tendency to, to drift. We have a tendency to be a little bit complacent. He knows that there's a chance of us wavering, and so he continues in verse 24. Right? This is a command, not an option. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So it's our job to consider how to provoke, to think about the people who we are in community with, to observe their lives and say, you know, I could help them love Jesus better. I could assist. This person, they need to be poked a bit. Now, I can tell you some stories about poking, uh, not in a very specific way, but um, you all know, you know, here, my mother is here this morning, and I used to be a terrible person to get up. I mean, she had to come in and break ice cube trays into my bed, spray me with a water bottle. I needed some provoking, because <laughs> I was not going to get up. Like, anything that it would take. She just had to do it. Wasn't comfortable, but it helped me get moving. And it helped me get established. And it helped me get to the place to where, like, I can get out of bed my own, on my own now. I made it. I made it. Right? There are some times where I still do need some provoking and like has to like kick me out and push me out and take the covers and you know. But I I made it. But I needed that provoking. It's not comfortable, it's not fun, but it was necessary. It's necessary. We should consider we should perceive, discern, we should seek to understand, to be purposeful and intentional how we consider how we take care of one another, to provoke one another, to love and good works, to get going. And he says there's a particular thing that needs to be provoked. One is that there are people who don't get involved in the community. Their time is their time, and they're not connected with anybody else. Or whatever's the bare minimum, boom, that's what I'm doing. In verse 25, he goes on and he says this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, the time is getting shorter, there's more urgency and so there should be a provoking that happens to be together with the people of God as frequently as possible. Now, in our time, we, we compartmentalize spirituality so much that we're like, Sunday morning is our time. But within the context of the early church, they were hanging out like every day, every single day, spending time together, growing together. And so when he says, like, there are some who are neglecting to meet together, like, they're talking about, like, probably people who didn't come to, like, you know, like out of the seven days of the week, they were like, oh, I'm going to take like three of them off. They were like, we need to get those people back. They're not talking about like, oh, you didn't come to like our Lord's Day gathering. They're talking like, there's some people we can't really keep an eye on because we don't really like, they're prioritizing other things. They're doing other things. 
They're not making it a priority to get into the life and rhythm of the church. And so the things that we consider, like, well, you know, uh, I'm, I, I am doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. is like, well, that's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking about the spirit of community, of being together with God's people. We've got to do this because this is how, uh, how, the, how the church is designed. To not be in community is to not be a part of the church. It's something that Jesus died for, to bring this community into existence. We're there to speak the gospel to one another. So how do we love one another? We do it in community through accountability. We care for each other's spiritual health. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've got to make each other accountable. You've got to make yourself accountable within community. You've got to decide that you are going to love others and be loved by others. Because there's a real danger, the writer of Hebrews says. There's potential for evil and unbelieving heart that will cause you to fall away from the living God. And so you have to be together so that you might be exhorted by one another. If you're not there to be exhorted, there's a problem. You've got to be with the people of God in order to receive the instruction uh, that God gives. Additionally, the people of God cannot fulfill the commands of God if you don't show up. Like, we need people to exhort. So you've got to show up to be exhorted. So, you know, you're like doubly hurting us if you're not going to be with the people of God. <laughs> Again, we're here to be in community, to get equipped and to equip others, to hear the scriptures, to grow in them. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, we read that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And again, we find that in community we maintain unity that Jesus prays for uh, in his high priestly prayer. We read in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's this eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Jesus prayed that we would be united. And this is one of the markers of the church, that we have this unity. And so we want to be able to come together so we can have this unity. We can be of one mind. If you're not here, you're just like, I'm not really sure what we're working on as a church. I'm not really sure what's going on. If you've got to get, like, the recap, you've got to get get the recap again and again and again. It's, you're not having the one mind. You're not together. And so we want to take this seriously because the church doesn't belong to me. You're not disappointing me. Like, if you don't want to get on board with what's happening here, like, that's, that's with you and Jesus. You know, we're going to help work it out. But this, this is Jesus' work. It's his church. It's not my church. We want to follow him. We want to obey him. We want to do what he's doing. Now, some exciting things, some really great things that I'm looking forward to 
in this year. Some things we want to get to. First, we want to grow in prayer. We want to grow in prayer together. Right? Like, in reality, like, our church is seven years old. Like, we, we probably pray like six-year-olds. Like, we're, we're, like, not there yet. Like, we've got, like, six-year-old type prayers right now. And we want to grow in prayer. We want to learn how to operate in the Spirit together, where we are learning to receive the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to learn to be proactive, not only in the corporate prayer meeting where we are gathered together to make petitions together, to wait on the Lord together, to give Him thanks and praise together, but we want to grow in prayer in initiating prayer for one another. Throughout the week, on Sunday mornings, that we are battling with one another. That we are going together into battle to pray. We want to grow in prayer. Additionally, we've been talking about for the last several weeks about how necessary it is that every member is vital for the church. Every member has a role. Now, throughout this year, and as we move into these, this next season, I hope that we seek to discover this roles, these roles together. If you don't know what your role is, start a conversation. How can you serve? How can you work? What are you doing in the community? What sort of, uh, what has God allowed you to be here? It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be like something that's like amazing. But what you have, what God has called you to do, what, how he's using you is unique to you. And the scriptures tell us that you're here for a reason. And so we want to know, you want to know, what are you doing? How can you serve? Maybe there's things that are untapped that we don't know how God wants to work. It's Jesus's church. We're finding out together and we're going to figure out what he wants to do. But we have to, seek to take it seriously and to discover what he's doing together. Third, in uh, 2019, we're working on something that Karen and I have been talking about and praying about for like a good number of months, <coughs> but working on establishing no additional details, details to come, uh, a, a type of women's gathering or women's fellowship, or I'm not really sure, like, like we have some like great ideas that we've been talking about, which I'm really excited for, but like an additional uh, time, an additional night or, or whatever it is for the women of the church to get together and uh, grow in faith together. That's how we'll say it, grow in faith together. There could be many different activities that happen during this course of time and some really cool things uh, that could be executed, but an opportunity for specifically for uniquely the women of the church to gather together. And so I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be wonderful. I think there's going to be some great, uh, great times that will result out of that. I think the Lord's going to work in amazing ways. Uh, I'm looking forward to that so much, even though like I can't go. Uh, but I'm just, I'm really pumped about it. Uh, out of like all the things that like I've been praying into, like this is one I'm like one of the most excited about. So uh, there's that. Uh, additionally. Uh, some of some of the guys in the church have a little bit of like a study group. It's not like a men's specific study group, but we are um, talking and praying through some things there uh, and some cool opportunities for uh, studying the Bible. Uh, some more to come on that in the future. Uh, as we come into new seasons here, we're looking at community group. Uh, we'll be starting up additional uh, reading that will happen. There's a couple books that I want to get to that will help us kind of discuss and, and grow in these um, ideas of ecclesiology and, and how the church works, which I'm really excited about. Uh, more on that as well to come. And then one of the other things that I want, uh, that, I, that I think I'm really excited about as we come into, the, into 2019 is speaking about um, spending some time 
uh, in learning and singing, learning about and learning to sing together hymns. The hymns have always been great historic stories in the church and words that have marked God's faithfulness from generation to generation. And so we want to equip you to know some of the stories behind these, uh, these hymns. We want you to know more than the first verse, uh, which we all got down. But we're going we're gonna to dive into like the second and third verse and, uh, you know, hear a bit of the stories and have some discussions there uh, about that perhaps and sing them together. It'll be awesome. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, and, and there's a bunch of other things that are on the list that I'm just continually praying about and things like I want to do. But as we said, it's, it's, it's Jesus's church. And so like all the things I want to do, I shouldn't do because uh, there's just things I want to do. But I, I feel like these are some things that the Lord is kind of like giving us ways to step into, things to grow into uh, in 2019. Of course, there's some other things. Uh, and as we uh, move into this new season together, I'm really excited to uh, grow together with you all as we move into the eighth year, uh, Lord willing. And so as we come uh, into this year, we still, in the midst of all these things, want to respond to Jesus. We're not, we don't want to get confused about accomplishing these tasks for him. We want to see him rightly. We don't want to come and look at our life, the things that are up ahead, and, you know, as much fun as that season of time was where everybody had those what-would-Jesus-do bracelets, like, you know, we are instead pivoting and we as a church ask, what has Jesus done? What has he done? What has he accomplished in our lives? Who are we as his people? And then we operate out of that identity. What has he done? And now, how is he working? Because we want to join him in that. How has he called, called me to respond? How is he working? And so this is the attitude, the focus that we have coming into uh, 2019. Responding to Jesus, following Jesus in Berkeley, and living out of that identity which he has given us. Let's pray, and we'll respond. Lord, we're so thankful for your kindness, for your faithfulness to us. We pray that you would be glorified in your church, that you would lead us, and that you would have your way. Lord, the church belongs to you, only ever yours, and so we submit to you and pray that you would work in our midst, cause us to see the value, to see the design of your church, and to follow you specifically. And so lead us now. Help us to provoke each other to love and good works. Help us to consider others. And Lord, as others consider us, as we are the ones who are provoked, Lord, we don't want to get frustrated or upset, but we want to be moved. We want to see the value in that which you've called us to. And so, work in your church now. We need you to lead us. Love you. Amen.